As I said at the beginning of the service, we are continuing on this series, The Names of God. Last week, we talked about the Most High, the Almighty God from Psalm 91. Our text this morning comes from Genesis 16. So if your Bibles, you can open those up or you can see it printed for you in your bulletin there. But it's about Abraham, Sarah, Hagar. It's Abram and Sarah in this passage here because later on, God changes their names. But this is where Hagar, Sarah's Egyptian maidservant, she has this encounter with God. And it's it's pretty fascinating because if you look at all of the ancient Near Eastern literature, not just the Bible, but, but not just the Old Testament, all of ancient Near Eastern literature, which all of that is religious by nature in some form or fashion, this is the only place in all that literature where a deity addresses a woman. Not only that, it's the only place in the Old Testament where a human being who is a woman, who is actually an Egyptian and a maidservant, where this person names God. She gives a name to God. And there's a lot that we could get into just with that. But at a minimum, what we need to see is God is doing some pretty unexpected things in Genesis 16. Nobody's expecting the things that are going on. The name that Hagar gives to God, it's in the Hebrew, El Roy. It means God of my seeing or the God who sees me. This is a a great story. It is a great name. And before, I don't know if you're all aware of this or not, but uh, before the service, the elders of the church here gather together to talk about communion and and pray, pray for this service. And I shared with them, I can't remember having a more fun time putting together a sermon. I also reminded them that usually when I have a really fun time putting together a sermon, it just comes out bad. (laughs) But I really am excited about this passage. There's a lot of things going on that, that we can't begin to cover But I think and I hope that you will see this morning the God who already sees us. So let's look at this passage, Genesis 16. Let me read it to you. It's really put up in two scenes here. That's why the break occurs in in your bulletin there to show you that you have scene one and scene two. Let's begin with uh, verse one. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. She saw that she had conceived. She looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarah dealt harshly with her. And she fled from her. Scene two now. 
Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. The angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lehay Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that... um, as we look at this passage, the next few minutes, would you, we, we simply ask that um, you would remind us that you are a God who sees us and help us to see you seeing us and help us to be comforted by the fact that the God of the universe, you, our heavenly father, loves us and cares for us, even as we ask in the name of Jesus, Amen. So a few years back, uh, several years back, I was visiting my oldest son and his wife in Charlotte, and at the time where they lived, their property backed up against this wilderness area. And if you know me, I I like the woods, so one afternoon I decided to go take a, a hike, get some exercise, get out of the house. And you need to know also about me when it comes to exercise, my mind is a little bit bigger than my body and I always end up doing or, or ending up not doing what I thought I was going to be able to do. This time I went a long way out, found myself tired. It was a little more wilderness than I liked because I think I'm pretty good with directions. I decided to leave the main trail, take a shortcut and head back to the house. Using my exceptional orienting skills, my unerring directional acuity, three hours later, I find myself on a highway far from the house. (laughs) Glad you laughed, because it was kind of funny now. But you need to know, when I finally asked a few people, and you know how hard it is for men to ask for directions, asked a few people how to get back to the house, The house was empty. Everybody was out looking for me. That shortcut that I was taking led me and uh, those closest to me astray, and you could just say they were a little uptight. Someone has said it like this, shortcuts may be short, not in my case, but shortcuts may be short, but they don't always take us where we want to go. In Genesis 12, If you don't remember the story of Hagar, God comes to Abram and he makes a promise and God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to other people, to the world. 
few chapters later in Genesis 15, right before the chapter that we read, Abraham or Abram is a little concerned because if he's going to be a nation, he's got to have some children and he doesn't have any children. And he's, he's wondering how this is going to work. And uh, he and Sarah are thinking this is taking too long. So Sarah comes up with a shortcut. Genesis 16. It's not new for God's people of old. It's not new for God's people today for us to experience tension over the delay in God's promises. Because we do know that God makes a lot of promises to us. Promises to love us, to take care of us, to provide forgiveness, to give us a future and a hope. But we do have to realize that sometimes there's a difference in how we think God should keep his promises and how God actually works those promises out. Did you hear that? There is a difference many times in how we think God should keep his promises and how God actually works those promises out. So what happens is we get a little frustrated, we get concerned, and oftentimes we, we take things into our own hands. And human beings, and even God's people, are tempted to solve a problem in our own way rather than waiting and trusting in God. And that's what Abraham and Sarah do here in Genesis 16. So for us to follow our text this morning, I just got a couple ideas to follow our text. And the interspersed in those two ideas are, I think, very helpful practical lessons for us to learn. The first idea is this. We human beings, even us Christians, we sure can make a lot of messes. The second idea is this. God comes into those messes, fixes those messes because of who he is. There's all sorts of things that we need to learn in between. So at the beginning of our passage here, Sarah, Abram's wife, she'd borne him no children. That's easy enough. That's not new in the biblical record. Sarah is unable to, to, to bear children. But she has this Egyptian maidservant, and Sarah has this homemade solution. It's going to help God out. A couple of things that I want us to recognize about Hagar here. First of all, she's an Egyptian, and you do know this more than likely, but it's good to put it together. In Genesis 16, Abram and Sarah, the father of all the Israelite nation, father and mother of the Israelite nation, they are enslaving an Egyptian. A few hundred years later, it's going to be reversed. The Egyptians are going to enslave the Israelites. And there's all sorts of things that we can learn from that. But the one thing that I want you to take with you on this is all people, regardless of whether they are Egyptian, Israelite, whether they're white or black, whether they're men or women, all people can do all sorts of bad things. So Hagar is an Egyptian. She's being enslaved by her Israelite family. She's also a maidservant, but I don't want you to think it's like a slave in the way we think of slavery today. It was much different in that culture that time. She can actually become Abram's wife. 
And I know that sounds awful in our ears today, and that doesn't mean that we ought to do it today or we think it's acceptable. But in that culture, in that time, in that place, it's not inappropriate. Can't explain all that this morning. But I do want you to recognize, don't get caught. This isn't a lesson in sexual ethics or sexual morality. The emphasis in this text is on Sarah's lack of trust in God. What you see going on in these first six verses, she is impatient for what she desires for herself. She wants to build up her house. There's no concern for anything or anyone else, and she's especially not concerned about God's promises. It's important what we see going on here in these first few verses. Sarah sees her situation. She takes Hagar. She gives Hagar. And boom, a plan is hatched, a child is conceived, but her own plan backfires. Hagar looks with contempt on Sarah. I was talking to a lady in the church on Friday, and she was doing some study on her own, and she talked about this word contempt and helped me understand it. This is worse than anger. It's not that Sarah's, I mean, Hagar's angry with Sarah. She is looking with contempt. And I know our sympathies lie with Hagar here, and that's fine. But you need to understand when the Bible says Hagar's looking with contempt on Sarah, it means things like this. I don't care if you're hurt. It's worse than anger. The intent is to exclude, to push them away, leave them isolated. It's a denial of another's humanity. And what I want you to see here, at best, we're left with this family conflict where Sarah blames Abram. Abram shrugs off his responsibility. Hagar holds Sarah in contempt. And Sarah deals harshly with Hagar, and Hagar flees. It is a mess. The mess we humans can make when we take things into our own hands. Somebody said it like this. Human schemes that depart from God's ways, they can backfire. And they usually produce bitterness, suffering, revenge, even violence. It's all because they just thought God needed a little help with his promises. And I know our sympathies can lean, lean towards Hagar, and that's, that's very understandable. I like Hagar. But don't miss this point. Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, they're all messed up. It's a bad situation. One thing that I don't want you to miss, if you read Genesis 16 and you read the way it's written and you go back and you read Genesis 3, these are both accounts of the fall. Abram shrugs off his responsibility. Described here, and I'm saying this on purpose because I, I, I want you to keep paying attention. Described here as listening to his wife. That's what Abraham does. Sarah sees her situation. She takes Hagar. She gives to her husband, and her eyes are open to all sorts of problems. If you go back and you read Genesis 3, Eve saw the tree. She took the fruit. She gave to her husband, and Adam listens to the voice of his wife, and their eyes are open to all sorts of problems. These are both accounts of a great fall. A lot of things we can learn here, but one of them is not this. I want to make sure you hear me. It's not that husbands shouldn't listen to their wives. 
It's not that men shouldn't listen to women. That's ridiculous. I I do understand. I I understand if an unbeliever or somebody that's not familiar with the Bible, they read this and they they have this skewed view of the Bible. They think, man, that's terrible that, that, that Adam that men actually think they shouldn't listen to women. If you know the Bible, if you know a little bit about the Bible, the Bible never says that. Of course men should listen to their wives. Of course men should listen to other women. But Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah, husband, wives, men and women, when, listen, whenever we seek to accomplish what we want in our own way, If somebody else distracts us from wholeheartedly following God, even those who are most important to us, if we seek to please ourselves or anyone else more than God, it will result in suffering and it will always fail to achieve the desired goal. That's Adam and Eve, and that's Abram and Sarah. It makes a mess of everything. And here's the opposite side of that. It's when men and women together seek to be obedient to God first and foremost. When husbands and wives strive together for holiness and follow hard after God, that's when things come together. The messes we make when we try to do things in our own way and we don't want to wait and trust on God. Leads to the second idea. It is the good news that God takes all these messes that we can make and he acts to fix everything. He did it with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 and the rest of the Bible. He does it with Abraham and Sarah here. And I promise you, brothers and sisters in Christ, he's still doing it today. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord finds Hagar by a spring. By the way, spring, water, water, usually in the Bible in John chapter 4 and many other places in the Bible, it's usually talking about life. So God comes to Hagar by a spring, and this is what he asks her. Where have you come from, and where are you going? It's just like Adam and Eve again when God comes in the midst of their mess and he says, Adam, Eve, where are you? And by the way, it's not like God doesn't know. God's the one that found Hagar and Adam and Eve. He knows exactly where they are. The question is asked so that they would consider, and actually this morning, so that we would consider this. Who are we and where are we apart from God and his promises? Sit on that for a second. Who are we and where are we apart from God and his promises? Like Adam and Eve, Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, God comes directly into their mess. You want to know why? Because divine intervention is necessary with our messes. It's necessary, it's purposeful, it's deliberate, it's not an accident. And even though all sorts of problems will continue to exist, you need to see that in this passage. All sorts of problems will continue to exist, by the way, not because of God, but because of Adam and Eve, because of Abraham and Sarah. You see the problems in this text that are around for the rest of history. You could look at Ishmael like this, the offspring of man's plans. He will dwell over against all his kinsmen. He will live in defiance and disregard of other people, which of course leads to all sorts of problems in the life of Abraham, Sarah, the life of Israel. Even our world today. 
there are always negative effects and consequences that will not go away because of the message that we have. I mean, I'm not making light of this, but, but here's one for me. My wife won't let me go hiking anymore by myself. And it drives me crazy. But I have to listen to my wife because I made a mess of that. And she's probably right. But even with the consequences, God's blessings do not go away. God comes and tells Hagar to submit, which had to be hard. I mean, I don't want you to miss it. Hagar has to go back to return to Abram and Sarah, which I'm sure will be extremely hard. But not only does God say something hard to her, he also graciously gives her a promise. And it's very similar to the promise that God makes to Abraham way back in Genesis 12. The only woman in Genesis who is honored in this way. And she gets the promise as long as she is attached to God's promises through Abraham and Sarah. And all her problems didn't go away. She just got God in the midst of her problems. We know she gets it because of what she does next. She gives a name to God that expresses his special significance. And she says, you are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. God sees his people. He sees you. He sees me. He sees everybody. And he knows what they are experiencing. And he's not lax in coming to our aid. Regardless of our circumstances and situations, regardless of the messes that we have made, God shows up. That's why we can. That's why we must wait for and trust God. And the question this morning, do, do, do you see the God who sees you. Because when you see him seeing you in the midst of your mess, no matter what it is, God looks through you and he is at work in our lives and he is taking us exactly where he wants us to go. You see, Abraham, after his mess up, he doesn't go whine and say, oh, I'm such a failure, I screwed this up again. He just responds to God, obeys God in the midst of his sin, and he names the boy Ishmael. God hears. And Sarah's house is going to be built up, but, but in the way that God wants, not in the way that she wants. And Hagar learns, learned and is used by God to teach everybody that God sees and hears his people when they feel abandoned. I know you all, I know a lot of you all well enough to know that you and I have made messes of our lives. And God intervenes and is working in those messes to help us see him seeing us. We can always struggle with frustration as God is seemingly slow to keep his promises, or we just don't see how he's going to keep them. And it's hard sometimes to, 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 to wait and trust on God. But our self-made solutions will lead to bitterness and suffering. God even uses some of those, those messes that we make. But even then, we can't mess up God's plan. Because he sees us, and we need to see him seeing us. We read John chapter 4 this morning. 
Because Jesus saw right through the woman at the well and he saved her. He sees right through all of us. He sees our messes and he comes to keep God's promises. We need to see the Jesus who sees us. We just sang this song right before the sermon. How great the pain of searing loss. Talking about God the Father. The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. So God turned his face away from Jesus so he could always and never turn his face away from us. Maybe you are here this morning and you identify most with Hagar. A lot of people do. She's on the outside looking in. And, and I have to, this is speculation here, but I have to believe that Hagar is not very happy with Abram and Sarah. Now, can I say it like this? Hagar is not very happy with God's people or the church. Because Abraham and Sarah kind of messed some things up because they didn't trust and they didn't wait on God. But do, do you realize this? If Abram and Sarah didn't mess things up for Hagar, we wouldn't be talking about Hagar today. Doesn't give us a, a, an excuse to mess things up. But, but if Abram and Sarah didn't screw things up in Genesis 16, we never would have learned about Hagar. If you're not happy with the church or maybe you don't like some of God's people, don't let that distract you from seeing the God who sees you. Hagar didn't, and she was blessed. Abraham and Sarah, God's people, they sure did make a mess here. But God is at work, and we can't mess up more than God can fix. And it doesn't mean that we won't deal with the consequences of our sin. I mean, I think some of us think that. Oh, when I have Jesus, all those consequences go away. They don't. It just means that God's promises are bigger and better, and we need to keep learning that we can wait on God, and we can trust God because he's a God who sees us. He knows us. He cares for us, and he will not let us go. The messes that we can make. I can stand up here and tell you that, that that hiking trip was the smallest mess in my life that I've ever made. I've made some big messes. We all can make some messes, but we worship a God who sees us and comes into our messes. That's why Jesus died for us. Because we have messes that we can't fix, and only God can. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are this morning. And I just ask that you would encourage us this morning, encourage us that you see us and you don't turn your face away from us. You come into our lives and you love us and you help us and you give us exactly what we need. Please, Father, remind us as your people in this church that you're a God who sees us and you're a God who saves us. In the name of Christ, we ask you to bless us now even as we come to the Lord's table where we are reminded of your great love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.